Hello and welcome back to Equity. This is an Equity Shot, our second of the week, making this the most active week ever in the history of the show because essentially everything has been going on. Uh, if you're a little bit behind, yesterday we talked about all the IPOs that dropped and of course they all dropped during Y Combinator's demo day. So we have once again reassembled the troops and uh, well with a special guest, I should say, uh, to talk about the latest from YC. I am joined by Natasha Mascarenas, our early stage reporter. How are you doing? Doing good. I was just joking. I have not had time to reflect, but this is all going to be off the cuff. Thoughts on YC? <laughs> kind of a, a rough and ready uh, dig through of, I think about 100 companies or so. So quite a lot to get through. 200, uh, unfortunately. 200 companies. Oh, it was 100 per day. That's right. Yes. Uh, many documents and posts later, my brain is scrambled eggs. Uh, but we are joined today by Lucas Matney, an emerging technologies reporter here at TC. Lucas, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. This is my first time and I am, uh, I'm happy about it. Yeah, it's, I've been at TechCrunch five years and have yet to grace equity, which is it's too long. Uh, yeah, well, the show has been around for, for more than three now, which actually makes it something of an institution, terrifyingly enough. But Lucas, we're really glad you're here because you were part of the reporting team that covered both days live. So between the three of us, we should have a pretty good handle on all the things that went down at demo days one and two. So to kick off, Natasha, can you run us through kind of the, the top numbers to kind of ground everyone in what happened earlier this week? Yeah, sure. So as Twitter was obviously full of our tweets, you guys probably know that there was 197 companies that presented on Demo Day this year or this summer. The, the two new parts is that it was the first fully remote cohort and the first live remote Demo Day. So last Demo Day was also remote, but it was these pre-recorded videos based on feedback. YC changed things up. Kept it live. And I don't know about you guys. It was my first time covering it with TC in this way. And so I thought it was fun. I thought our Slack room was a fun place to be instead of just being like in form D filings. So I had a really good time, honestly. Yeah. The thing I'll say is because it was fully remote and because we could all be on the live stream, we could actually have a couple of extra hands. So it wasn't quite as chaotic and terrifying as YC used to be, which was three of us in a room with a bunch of other people before back in the, back in the old days frantically typing with like five of us. It was not that bad. I don't know, Lucas, I don't know how you felt, but I didn't feel terrifyingly rushed during the process. I mean, just a couple of years ago, like I, it really changed when I live in San Francisco and when they moved everything to the piers here, then it was actually in the city. That was such a huge change because it used to just be like a marathon. You would go to the computer history museum. It would take you probably like a 45 minute uh, Uber to get there. You're like trying to maybe schedule a call during the car because you're not getting anything done on any of those days. And then it ends and you take like an hour and a half in traffic back to the city and you just are like dead and then you do it the next day. So this was it was so condensed. I mean, it was too condensed in some ways. Like and we were, you know, Natasha was saying, like, it's it's hard to think about um, kind of hard to reflect on all this stuff that already happened because like it was really one minute per company. No one was walking up to the stage. It was like switching to zoom. And like, I, yeah, I mean, in some ways, like it was like brutally efficient, but on the other hand, like you didn't get any of that moment to pause and be like, Oh yeah, that, that like founder was kind of interesting. Or like, I wonder what they, you just had to go, okay, should I invest in this company? So I could see that kind of being maybe a, a bit of an issue, but you know, it was, it was an interesting experience. Right. Yeah. The eye contact was definitely missing. Like I remember my first demo day. I actually, Lucas, fun fact, I think that was the first time I ever saw you slash met you was at YC demo day one year ago and all the TC reporters were in the first row and I like sat right behind you guys. And I was like, oh, 
they seem cool. Fast forward one year later, I'm here. But no, it, yeah, that, that was definitely the missing aspect. DMs were still kind of full of investors saying X, Y, and Z. Um, and then, of course, there was like the grumpy cats that were anti YC demo day, which I was like, who has the energy? There are so many other things to be grumpy about. But that's how I feel whenever I'm just like making fun of like whatever award show is going on. I'm like, I hate award shows. And everyone else on Twitter is like, just shut up. This is our night. We're just going to have our fun. Um, but can we can we run through some of the demographic data? Because we noticed during the presentations that it didn't seem to be, I, I don't know, the most diverse YC group we've ever seen. So was that reflected in the numbers? Yeah, so just running through them really quickly, about 16% of companies had a female founder, 6% had a black founder, 10% had a Latinx founder. And beyond the Latinx number, the, the uh, female-founded companies and black-founded companies both had dips. And so I actually asked YC about that, like why they did worse in diversity this year. And they said that they're digging into it and trying to figure out what happened. I thought it would be more inclusive this year, considering it was fully remote, parents could join, people who couldn't up and leave their life in other states and countries could join. So I was definitely shocked to see dips in diversity. Yeah, but there was also a pretty good geographic diversity, kind of flipping to the other side of that issue. So Lucas, can you walk us through the countries that were popular outside of the U.S.? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, most of them were from the U.S., but there was a pretty substantial uh, uh group from other countries. So there are 15 companies from the UK, 14 from India, which I feel like the Indian companies was like one major trend of, of the event. There were just so many companies focused on opportunities in India. Um, but then there are 12 in Canada, so not too far away, five in France, five in Mexico. Um, so overall, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, I think India is really where the diversity of, uh, you know, where the companies were founded and what markets they were approaching was, was most evident. I know there were a couple in Brazil also, but it, it largely also seemed, despite being a fully remote cohort, cohort, a lot of SF companies. I mean, I'm not super shocked by that. Um, there's some data here that I just want to make sure that I'm reading correctly. So there was 3,600 hours of individual and group office hours as part of this YC class, and also about a quarter million Slack messages. And the, the office hours thing felt right, but only a quarter million Slack messages. I feel like we did that many on Monday and Tuesday, just covering YC. So that number felt surprisingly low to me, but maybe they're all just better at talking out loud or on the phone or something. I'm sure. There were some insights in our Slack group that like seemed worthy of publishing and other things I definitely don't want out there, but there was a lot of like good snark in, this, in the Slack group. But I think we probably hit like a couple thousand per day. Easily. And, and just while we're sticking to numbers, um, TechCrunch published around 14,000 words about Y Combinator over the last couple of days. So if you were worried that TC doesn't care about like early stage startups, ha, take that. And <laughs> Tosh, back over to you. Sorry. No, I was going to say, I'll end with one more stat. Um, based on the latest numbers, 26,000 introductions were requested by investors. So they're optimistic. We'll probably only know how successful the batch is in three to four months, but a ton that closed before and a ton will likely close after in terms of financing. Yeah, that's what I'm really curious about. Is this format as effective for the startups taking part as you know, preceding years? Do you need to be there in person to convince an investor to care? Can you really get to conviction over Zoom? I mean, we've been covering this as a publication for the last four months, and the answer seemed to be kind of mostly yes. But I'm curious if YC, given the short time frame, uh, we'll see similar kind of results. I don't know, uh, Lucas, talking to investors, what stood out for you kind of trend-wise? In this YC group? Yeah, I mean, 
just on on the trend front, a couple of things I was paying attention to were, you know, there are a few companies that were all trying to like tap into this no code, like Figma-esque idea of how you can bring collaboration into various software pipelines. I mean, there were three just trying to do it for video in this batch. So, uh, you know, I, I th- and I think that was something we talked about in the Slack group a lot was that it seemed like YC and they've done this in the past, but I guess it just feels more pertinent now. Like they were making like several bets on the same thing. And like maybe they had like a slight twist, but they all and I know the order was somewhat randomized, but a couple of them like went in pretty close proximity to each other. And you're just like, oh, did I just did I just hear this one? I'll add to that, too. I, I, I was joking. Like, I feel like there has to be like these lessons that happen like day two of YC. And then like everyone gets the same seed planted. And then like months later, they all have the same startup because I felt the same thing about ed tech. I thought they all were trying to treat it as like an education entertainment play for younger children. And I was like, everyone's doing that. And I still will like root for that because it's needed and it's a gap. But it's like, it felt very predictable at a certain point. I feel like when I was editing your entry into like the favorite section, I was like, wait a minute, these are all pretty similar. But then again, also guys, is it that shocking? We have seen startup clusters throughout time. People often see the same gap in the market, come up with a similar solution. You know, and there's enough space. We could see multiple winners actually from each YC group in even set those little clusters themselves. So I'm optimistic. The biggest thing for me was India, which I'm going to get to talking about our favorites in a second, but super exciting to see, especially in the current geopolitical climate, startups really focusing on the Indian market, trying to reach that enormous kind of newly online population with e-commerce solutions and really kind of cutting edge tech that I think is going to be pretty damn popular country. So I'm, I'm pretty hyped. Before we talk about favorites, is there anything else that we wanted to touch on regarding business models, uh, how demo day went or anything kind of along those lines? Yeah. I mean, so obviously in past years, there were like 20 Uber for X companies. Natasha, I know, you know, in Slack, you were talking a lot about like some of the other startups that were the, the new place of the, I guess it should be X for Y, but it's, you know, whatever the blank for X was. Yeah. I feel like there was Shopify. I mean, I talked about it so much, but the Shopify for X dynamic is just like, how do we not talk about it? I felt like the elephant in the room. I'm glad I can get it off my chest. <laughs> Shopify for X was every freaking company. There was one for airlines, I think. And I was like, it's losing its lust for me already. It hasn't even had its peak yet, I'm sure. Critically, I believe it's losing its luster. Um, <laughs> slight correction there. But I, I, what I will That's say so is... <laughs> I, I, hate, I hate to be critical on the show, um, but what, what I find fascinating is you can kind of just track what companies become the most or gain the most like market cap or private market valuation. And then that kind of bleeds over into the X for Y discussion. So, for, so Shopify has seen its valuation soar in recent years. Now everyone's talking about it. It becomes the new thing. I feel like Stripe a year ago was the big analog like Stripe for X and two years ago is Uber for X and Airbnb for X. Um, do we have guesses for what will it, it'll be next year? Anybody? I mean, it's already been superhuman for X for two years, but maybe like once we find out more about their financials and as they like expand a little bit more into becoming a bigger company, there'll actually be more reason for it to be superhuman for X. Because I feel like that is such like a nebulous meaning. I was going to say the same thing. Superhuman was definitely the curveball of comparisons. Like, I think I heard superhuman more than I heard Airbnb for X, which I was like, huh, what happened there? But we're at, yeah, I think post layoffs, they're probably like, man, eh, let's just like pump the gas on the Airbnb for X comparison. <laughs> sure. I mean, I know this is not the IPO chat and I know we did that yesterday, but like, I'm still so excited about that S1. Eventually when we get it, it's going to be uh, tremendous to see how they recovered, but let's move on to favorites. We're going to start with Natasha. You are our lead reporter on this stuff. Tell us what really took your eye uh, during demo day. Yeah. So one of the biggest deals on demo day actually didn't present at the 
shindig. It was Trove, which basically sells internal compensation tools to other startups. Basically, Andreessen Horowitz led a 16 million round with a 75 million post money valuation, which, of course, Andreessen Horowitz led a 16 million round in a Y Combinator company with a 75 million post money valuation. It was wild. The only other data point I have on Andreessen doing this was a year ago with Tandem and and they valued Tandem at 30 million and we thought that was crazy. And now we're seeing 75 million and nothing makes sense anymore. We're, we're in a post clubhouse world. It's it's nothing's the same. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, in all fairness, I think that Trove is more important now than maybe it would have been a year ago, which is when it started. But Trove sells tools that would help an employer pay and compensate their employees, which given remote work, I'm super confused on how it works for other startups. Like I've been avoiding writing about it for that reason. Like how does equity work or like where does the extra snack money go? And so Trove, if it does that, I guess it becomes more interesting. Who who gets a $75 million valuation? I'm sorry. I just, that's, that's, that's crazy. It is crazy. I mean, Clubhouse has a hundred million valuation. So like, I'm like, that is my new benchmark of absurd valuation. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, what else? Uh, I think Capway was on your list as well. Yes. Capway was, is founded by Sheena Allen, who grew up in a banking desert, which means that she and other people in her community didn't have access to non-predatory banking loans. And so she's creating a startup that's trying to both help millennials get financially smart and also banked and then kind of stay with them throughout their trajectory. Neo, new neobanks at this point don't stick out to me, but it stuck out to me because they have a cool way of acquiring customers. They're working with community organizations and schools and creating like these programs, financial wellness programs, and then bringing in people that way. And to me, I think that's like one, such a great mission to empower your community and a really clever way to do it, which in a way that like isn't, you know, being you're not targeting people through Instagram ads. I'm tired of that. And of course, it was a contrast to Letter, which was kind of one of the startups that got memed, which was a bank for rich people. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> High net worth individuals, Natasha. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, I, I, I liked Capway. Actually, I remember that uh, presentation. Um, so I thought it was very compelling to listen to. So uh, you have one more, though, which I think is I, mm, li life. Okay, so I have the scoop on why it's named that. The founder's son said, your startup is saving lives and let's add a Y in the middle to make it sound like tech, which I think Forbes gave that, got that detail out. So shout out Forbes. But um, the, it's, it's, I'll keep it quick. It's a telemedicine platform that helps women through the breast cancer journey. So it helps with pre-diagnosis and post-treatment. Big competitor in the market is Maven, but it doesn't specialize in breast cancer. And so that's why I cared about it. It's like a really cool way to see a vertical within telemedicine pop up with big aims. And it's working with two other YC graduates also focused on breast cancer, which is, um, is it's a cool way to go about it. Uh, well, let's, let's shout about it. It's uh, Eva, which is based in Mexico, and then also Isano Health, I believe. Yeah, they're all going to be like this cool little ecosystem. And I don't know how to track that yet, but it would be cool to see how many YC startups help each other. I know that they invest in each other kind of, but I'm sure there's like these mini like super human vibes. Okay, not that's a horrible word choice, but many like things happening. Things are happening with these startups. So it's cool that the ecosystem can bring those people together. Yeah. Well, YC companies buying from each other. It's a great way to make sure that everyone's revenue chart goes up into the right. And that's why all the <laughs> charts go up into the right. And I'm not even being dismissive. I think it's kind of brilliant, but let's pivot. Uh, Lucas, walk us through your favorites from demo days one and demo days two. 
Yes. Well, I think yesterday, the first one that really caught my eye, caught my ear, uh, was called Chat Pay. And on the surface, I guess what it was doing is kind of a tight niche. So it's like, it's based in Brazil and it's basically doing membership platforms for WhatsApp. So you can, if you're a coach or something, say you're like a relationship coach, you can, you know, have just like a mini chat group where you can give all this advice and have like, you know, 10 people in the group. They can all pay for membership. You can have like referral bonuses. So if they bring someone in, you can track that within the platform. That's just kind of like a little interesting thing. What I liked about it is it kind of feels like it's building on like this idea of what Substack has done, where it's like gone from just being a medium post to more of a membership. And you just feel like it's you have a closer relationship with the creator. So I guess like if you're, you know, I could see a future where this seems like something where you could like monetize your Twitter interactions in a way. So all of a sudden you have like a. Yeah, like, well, I mean, like, Twitter obviously has so many opportunities to monetize, and they're not going to do any of it when they eventually do. They're going to be like, here's a extra dark, dark mode for you that's $10 a month. But so, yeah, exactly. It's like, it's absolute black, only on OLED devices. No, so like this, this was super interesting to me, because I feel like, you know, if you're a VC or something, and like, maybe associates want to get some of your advice, they can just get into this group and they can actually ask you questions. And this isn't exactly how ChatPay wants to work, but I'm just kind of down the future. This seems like a, a nice logical extension for them. But they're based in Brazil. They're focused on Latin America right now. Maybe this trend will come stateside uh, or maybe they'll just go international. But they, they were very interesting to me and I, my ears perked up. Now, your next one is, is Figma for X, which I, I was surprised to see one of us pick one of those as our favorite. So tell me about Backlot. It is. It's... It, it is a Figma for X in, in some ways. So Backlot is doing Figma for filmmaking. I think Figma for video is like just one of those super clear areas where all investors pretty much know that there's going to be a winner within the next couple of years. If someone can basically rep replicate Final Cut or Premiere inside like a collaborative environment, there's something interesting is going to happen there. Like what, so what Backlot is doing is way weirder. They're basically taking the prototyping software or like the prototyping progress for filmmaking where people like make all the frames and they like have the shots but they're literally like sketching it out on paper and these companies are charging like tons of money just to do that so they're trying to like replicate the entire filmmaking environment in 3d and then do all the shots inside this 3d software so basically when they eventually get to the lot they have like a super clear idea of exactly what they want and they can invest more of the research resources that they put in post-production into pre-production. And like theoretically, that will save them money. It's definitely a little niche. I think it sounds pretty cool. And it's by some like XVR guys. And like there's nothing for the VR people to do right now. So they're like <laughs> investing in like in yeah, more more 2D technologies. But this this sounded very cool to me. So I'm I'm interested. I, I like that it's ambitious because, you know, as cheesy as it is, it's like our first chance to see startups that are being built on fully remote ways in like a huge way. Like we got to see 200 companies really fast. What sticks out? It's like this really crazy way to understand things. And so hearing this company, my first thoughts are I'm so glad it's more ambitious than doing the obvious gap. So to me, that's cheesy, but exciting. Yeah. And I, I cover a lot of VR stuff and, you know, YC has generally backed very strange plays in the 3D world. Like they did like a, like, and good for them. I mean, it's our, like 3D is like a very bunk space and like all, there've been like 50 avatar companies. None of them have done anything for the most part. The 3D things they, they bet on have been interesting. And I think Backlot is, has a pretty cool future. 
All right, so uh, your last one is LSK Technologies, which I believe was a lab in the box startup, which is an idea that I, I dig, but what about LSK uh, was cool? Yeah, so, you know, I'm, I don't have much of a biotech background in terms of my coverage. I, I didn't go to school for that. But one of the things that intrigued me was just how much it sounded like Theranos for the most part, like no, no, no shade on them. But I mean, it's like literally like another lab in the box startup that's like trying to miniaturize these processes from these giant things. The difference, of course, is this company, like the founders actually have backgrounds in pharmaceuticals and like bioengineering. And so like they actually like have backgrounds in the tech and then imagine. Yeah, well, they were they were like very like they were like, this is for research purposes. We're focusing on one thing. We're not trying to get like 30 different tests from a trip of blood. And they're also not trying to miniaturize everything. They're they're focusing, I think, exclusively on computer vision based detection. So basically, I'll, I'll, I'll go through some of the actual data on this stuff. So they're 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 testing for Zika right now. That's the one thing they're focused on. And they have a, a test field rollout in Brazil um, and you know, I, I think I think they have an interesting future and I'll, I'll be curious whether VCs are like a little reticent to back something working in the same space or whether they're like, finally, someone's trying it again. Like we're ready. Like they have the right background. We should we should check them out. Yeah, I, I'm hopeful because I, I love the idea of it. Also, I love that YC is backing stuff that doesn't, you know, monetize on day one and takes more time. It's, it's a, it broadens the lens of companies that can go through the YC process. Cool. Um, LSK Technologies. That'll be exciting to see. Oh, it's my turn. Okay, so I'm going to be uh, relatively brief because uh, we are a little bit over time. And I'm going to butcher a couple of names here. So respect all the companies. You're awesome, but I'm doing my best. Uh, first up for me was Bakai, I think. Close enough. It's essentially Shopify for India, sticking close to that X for India theme that we've discussed a number of times. One thing that I learned through this company is that people often buy things through WhatsApp inside of India versus in other platforms. And so what this company is doing is building Shopify for India, but with a focus on WhatsApp as a model. And that is, I think, super awesome. I love to see kind of localizations of other ideas. It'll be fun to see how fast they grow. I think this one's going to be big. If I had to bet a dollar on one company from all of YC companies, it would be this one. So I'm just, I think it's super cool. And then Decentro, it's also another X for India. It's Plaid for India and kind of the APAC region. I mean, Plaid works, FinTech is big. People need these kind of connections and APIs. And so if you can build a company that provides them to an enormous market, to me, that sounds like a recipe for success. And uh, what was cool about this one is they're doing uh, 1 million in GTV or gross transaction volume and about $7,000 in MRR. So an early start, uh, but an encouraging one. And then super quick, uh, my last one is Afriex, I believe. Do you guys remember back when like Bitcoin was just blowing up back in the day and everyone's like, it's going to be huge for remittances and then no one used it for remittances because it was too volatile? Well, Afrix has an idea, which is use stable coins that are USD backed to allow for crypto-based remittances that hold their value and don't have the same issues. So super cool, guys. And we could talk for another hour about the cool companies, but I think that's enough for this equity shot. Natasha, Lucas, thank you very much for your time. And we'll be back Friday morning with the regular equity episode. So hang tight. We'll be right back.